Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 19. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Um, Special welcome to those of you who traveled and have just come back, um, and those of you who are just joining us. I, I saw something funny on social media. Someone said, January is such a long year. And I know that there are some of us who feel that way, like the year is just going on and on and on. Um, but it's good to see everyone again. So we've been doing a series, we called it Transition Series. We started on uh, the 30th of January um, last week, and then we finished today. And we called it Crossing by Faith. We called our Transition Series, and we called it Crossing by Faith. Um, and so. We started by by considering the topic living by faith, and Pastor Femi showed us that biblical faith is always primarily vertical, that it is always directed to God. It's always rooted in the person of God, in what God says in the scriptures. And then last week, Uncle Yemi showed us that saving faith is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't earn it precisely because you cannot earn it, right? And so it's a gift, it's given to us. And so today we'll consider another aspect of faith that I'll be calling persevering faith. Now, the word perseverance is a word, you know, that kind of, it drips of sweat. It drips of slugging it out, being in the gym or something. Um, And some of us here who who did the NYSE, or some of us who who gladly skipped it, um, I've heard stories about camp. I don't know what camp is meant for because it seems like the usefulness hasn't been proven, um, except, except for just you know, taxing people physically. And so one of the things, um, so when I, when I was in camp, generally law students end up skipping camp because camp, if I'm in batch C, that's the part that happens in November, um, October, November. It happens just around the call to bar period. 
And so the call to bar period, there's a week long or almost two week um, activities that you have to do. You have to go to the legal counsel in Abuja and do different things. So many of us just do like three days, one week, and we just exit camp. But those who stay on camp, there's something called the climbing the cargo net. Um, you, may, you, may, you may just call it a rope or a net, whatever. And it's just somebody who is trying, who is just suffering, basically, and just climbing this net that the usefulness hasn't been proven. Right? And, and there are just many things. Some of us, I grew up in, a, in further, further down from here, and we had this thing called Kolo. Does anybody know what Kolo is? Yeah, yeah they call it piggy bank now, but it's actually Kolo. Right. <laughs> and so, you, you, you know, someone gives you 20 naira, someone gives you 50 naira, you just keep accumulating it and saving it there. And then you wait for the day when it's Christmas or something, you want to buy something and then you smash it on the ground and it breaks, right? So you persevere through accumulating all that money. And so we come to this topic of persevering faith, right? The Bible actually talks about the fact that faith perseveres. And so our text presents that to us this morning. But before we get into the text, it's important to have an overview of Hebrews. And so what's Hebrews about? What's the writer aiming at and all of that? And so Hebrews is really a 13 chapter long epistle where the writer who we do not know for certain is at pains to show the church that Jesus Christ is greater. If you wanted to sum up Hebrews in just a few words, that's, that's really what it's about, that Jesus Christ is greater than anything. And so he shows us in chapter one that Jesus is greater than the angels because he is God. He shows us in chapter three that Jesus is greater than Moses because he is God's son. Moses was God's servant, Jesus is God's son. He shows us in chapter 6 all the way to 10 that Jesus is greater than Joshua because Jesus actually gives rest. Um, Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood because Jesus brings in a new covenant. Jesus is the eternal high priest because he always lives. The high priest usually died and there was someone else, but Jesus Christ is the true high priest because he always lives and makes an eternal intercession for us. And lastly, in chapter 13, he shows that Jesus Christ is greater because he remains the same forever. And so he's, he's really this whole thing about how Christ is the best, how Christ is greater, how Christ is better than anything else that you can imagine. And it's really an exciting topic. But to make sure that we don't get derailed by enjoyment, that we, we, we don't just you know, get carried away by all these things that are there for us, he peppers the book at significant intersections with warnings. And so we come to one of those warnings today, this morning. And so we'll be considering this topic of persevering faith under three headings. Um, yeah, so the first one, persevering in community, we see that in verses 12 to 13. Persevering to the end in verses 14 to 19. And persevering in hope in verses 19 and 5 to 6. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because your word brings life. Your word brings light. Lord, our prayer and hunger this morning is the words of Isaiah in chapter 61, verse 1. 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would come and rend open the heavens as fire kindles brushwood, that you would come. Oh, God, this is what we ask, that you kindle our hearts this morning. Set us ablaze with the light of your glory and the promise of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. 
So persevering in community, verses 12 to 13. So he starts, see to it. And I'd like us to say that together. See to it. But let's say it like, I know some of us are wondering, see to church, it's okay. Let's say it together. See to it. Brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And now our initial impulse is to read that passage, and my initial impulse as well is to read that passage and think, hmm, he's speaking to me. Emmanuel, see to it. Watch over yourself. After all, the Bible contains many individual admonitions. So Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence, right? Because out of it flow the issues of life. It's talking to the person. Paul speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter, 6, chapter 4, verse 16, and he says, watch your life and your doctrine, because by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearer. So the Bible is full of individual admonitions. But we know that's not what he's talking about here. Because the same none of you that is used in verse 12 is the same none of you that is used in verse 13, which is refined by the commandment to encourage one another. And so he's not saying you as an individual see to it yourself. He's saying that everyone watch over each other. And it's important because this is massively uncomfortable and inconveniencing for us. We live in times that are increasingly becoming individualistic. We like to keep to ourselves. We don't like people messing in our businesses. So even when we live in you know, compounds of six flats, you hardly know your neighbor's names because we don't like the disruption that comes from someone else knowing us. And so there's even something in, in public spaces where it's called faking, not F-A-K-I-N-G, but P-H-A-K-I-N-G. And that's really when you just pick a phone and pre uh, pretend as if you're actually on a call. How many of us have done that? <laughs> don't worry, don't raise up your hand. I have done it, right? You're in an awkward situation where I really don't want to speak to this guy. We don't have anything going on. I just pick up your phone and, ah, guy. And so those are the times we live in. We, we, we live in really individualistic times. And there's a tendency for us to kind of bring that same thing into our Christian work, into our Christian community. But the apostle here who is writing this, or the writer is saying to us that, see to it. Let everyone see to it. They are watching and guarding each other's lives. And so we've said a number of times here that even though God saves us as individuals, God does not grow us as individuals. There's a reason why the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 begins with, our Father, could have used any other pronoun, but it was as if Jesus was wanting the people to see that God is not just your God, he is your God as an individual, but he is our God, he is our Father. And so there's a, it's also the same reason why the New Testament, and particularly in this book, and all through the New Testament, Paul would say things like brothers and sisters, because the Bible wants us to see that we're not just a child of God, we belong to the family of God. And so friends, the call to faith in Christ is a call to belong to the family of God. And why is it important that we recognize this? He gives us the answer in verse 13. He says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
God gives us community. God gives us all of this, all of us here, to protect us from the effect that sin has on our souls. We cannot, we cannot watch over each other, watch over ourselves as we ought to. And so that's why God gives us with Festus. God gives us with Toki. God gives us with all these brothers and sisters and community to watch over us, to care for us, to care for each other. And some of us may know what it's like to have an injury on your, on your hand. And, and, and your hand gets numb or your finger gets numb. And you realize that it's not just that you have an injury. You, you suddenly have to protect that hand or protect that finger. Because all of a sudden, you can't feel pain anymore. You don't know when something pricks you. You don't know when you know, your, your blood is dripping or, and, and stuff. And it's in the same way that sin's effects upon us is that it hardens our hearts. It makes us numb to the Holy Spirit. It makes us numb to God pricking and prodding at our hearts. And so the writer says this morning to see to it one another, to watch over each other, to care for one another's souls. And he says, as long as it is called today. There's a certain sense in which we think, well, he kind of checked up on me last week. He shouldn't check up on me today again. Or there's a sense in which we feel like I was, I was checking up on that brother last week or last month or even yesterday. I don't need it again today. But he says, as long as it is called today, it's a duty that is imperative for each and every one of us. And so, friends, we need one another. We need each other. The Christian work is not just a weekly event that happens on Sunday. It's a relationship with the people of God that lasts through Sunday. It's not just something that happens when we feel like. It's something that must happen all the time. Genuine biblical faith is one that continues with God's people in community. It enjoys personal communion with God, but it also longs for the people of God. And so we see someone like David in Psalm 16, verse 2, that we considered a while ago. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I love God. I want God personally, but I love God's people as well. And there's a certain sense in which you cannot say that you love God if you do not love God's people. There are many of us here, and in, increasingly in our city and around our country, where you say, I believe in God. I just don't do church. The Bible has no category for that. There is nothing like loving Christ and hating his bride. If you are part of Christ, you must love God's people. And so the text doesn't promise us that it's going to be easy. It doesn't promise us that, you know, because we are all Christians, that we're just going to get along, and we're going to understand each other. It doesn't say that. Sometimes we'll hurt each other. Sometimes we'll say things that, you know, that hurt the other person or that wicked or cruel. But we must continue to persevere there. We cannot say that we have faith, we, we made a decision or made a profession at some point, and then all of a sudden we don't need God's people. The proof of faith is that we are continuing with God's people. And so there may be some of us here who have been hurt by church or hurt by Christians who have said things to us, people who have spoken about us behind our backs, people who have made commitments, um, um, comments against us rather. And I, and I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that has happened to you by people who say they believe in Christ, by people who say that they love God. But if I can just urge you, 
we don't say, we, we, don't, we don't do this in any other thing, for instance. We don't say that because I've been treated by quack doctors three times, I give up on hospitals. Nobody says that. Rather, what we do is, I've been treated by quack doctors three times, I have to take care that the next hospital I go is not one filled with quack doctors. And it's in the same way, brothers and sisters, that even though we may have been heard by people who profess to be Christians, people who profess to be people of God, it does not give us license to stay away from the gathering of the people of God. Rather, what we do is to say, what does the Bible say the people of God look like? What does the Bible say a gathering of Christians look like? And we make sure that wherever we step into next fits into that category. But we don't stay away from the people of God. Friends, God gives us Christian community as a lifeline. Some of us remember, I don't know if anybody still watches it, but remember who wants to be a millionaire, right? And, and there's one of those three lifelines. Phone a friend. 50-50. What's the last one? Um, ask the yeah, ask the audience. Never ask the audience. Um, phone 50-50. That one is like they say in Yoruba, it might be, it might not be. Phone a friend. That one too doesn't always work, right? Because you have a friend who is, I remember listening to one, and all three guys were like, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And the guy was just repeating the question again and again and again. And some of us kind of think that's, that's, that's the way, you know, Christian community is like, these people just, they're out here to dupe us. But that's not what God says Christian community is like. It is a lifeline. It's a real lifeline. But then that's the first category. And then the second category is those of us who hear this and like, yes, I need to know what color of underwear you are wearing. I need to know everything about your life. That's not what this text is talking about. It is not calling us to be prognosers, to prognose into people's affairs, to always want to find out, you know, the, 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 the salacious gist that we can get. We know that because in verse 13 it says, encourage one another. It doesn't mean that we can never call out the sin in people's lives. It doesn't mean that we can never say things that may be hard and difficult, but true and, and, and loving. It means rather that everything we are saying is done in such a way that we are seeking to serve the other person, not ourselves. And that's the difference you know, between the gossip of the, the, the pretentious I love you type of thing. It always wants to serve itself. It always wants to have more information. It always wants to get more stuff. But this one that we're talking about here in verse 13 says, encourage one another. It says somewhere else in Ephesians, in Colossians, that we should be speaking words that come from Scripture to one another, encouraging one another, speaking the words of God, saying, brother, I, 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 I saw how you snapped at that person. You might want to check what's there. Say, ask your friend, like, how, how are you doing with your Bible reading? It's just the start of the year. Have you made any commitment? How are you, how are you doing? Ask about how, you know, your, your, your evangelism, evangelism is. How are you caring for your family? All those kinds of questions. Those are the things the Bible talks about as markers of true biblical community. Friends, we need the surgery and the conviction that comes from opening each other up to rebuke the loving rebuke of friends 
in biblical community. In fact, Proverbs says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's like you're under the, the, the surgeon's knife. He may cut you, but it's never to hurt you. It's always to heal. And that's what biblical community is like. We need the accountability that comes from confessing sin one to another. James chapter 5 says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And one of the things that, that biblical community looks like, the gathering of brothers and sisters, is that we don't just say things people want to hear. We say things like, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm struggling with this. Asking people to hold us responsible. And so can I just urge you, it's, it's, it's a new year. We haven't even started GCs yet, so there's no excuse, right? You can't say, oh, they started, I'll join them when they start again in September or next year. We haven't started, okay? Can I urge you to make a commitment to a gospel community this year? Thank God for all that happens on Sunday. Thank God for, you know, what we see, how we get to sing together, how we get to share words of encouragement. But it's not enough. We need to gather together regularly. And so again, in Hebrews, somewhere else in, in chapter 10, verse 25, it says not to neglect the gathering together, the assembling together of brothers and sisters. Can I urge you, there are five GCs now. Just pick one. If your weekdays are too busy, there's Aja and Maryland there to consider on Sundays. If you love your weekend, try and make out time every other, every other week or every once in a while to be at GC during the week. Can I ask you to seek out godly friends and community? Part of the reasons why what we do, the little chit-chat, the interactions we have on Sunday after service is important is that we get to talk with one another, we get to ask questions, and in that way, friendships are built or friendships are, 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 are cemented. And so one of the things those kind of things can do is, hey, brother, I, I need prayers here. I, need, I don't know why I'm thinking about this kind of thing. I don't know why I'm, I'm looking at this person in this kind of way. Can I ask you to seek out godly friends who will hold you accountable? And if you have done this, maybe you think of yourself as a community person, right? Like, if they are looking for communities, me, I'm community. Can I ask you to pray again and ask God where you might open your life again to others? Allow yourself to be, to be uh, touched again by the Holy Spirit to see things that you can do differently. It says, as long as it is called today to encourage one another. And so friends, we find that true biblical faith is a faith that perseveres in community. It doesn't stay away from community. It may be heard by community, but it's always looking for brothers and sisters to help them up. There's an analogy in um, the Old Testament, in Exodus, I believe, where there's a war and Moses um, is on the mountaintop and Joshua and the Israelites are in the valley fighting one of their enemies. And the text tells us that every time Moses lifted up his hands to, to pray and, and as a sign of dependence on God, the Israelites were winning. But of course, his hands would get weary and he would drop it and they would start losing. And so when the brothers who were with him noticed that two of them came by his side, Aaron and her, and he just said, brother, we're holding your hand up. And as long as they did that, the Israelites won until they defeated their enemies. That is what God calls us to do in biblical community, to strengthen one another. In fact, somewhere else in Hebrews, 
chapter 10, it says, to strengthen the drooping knees, to strengthen one another, to come along each other, to help each other up. So true biblical faith, persevering faith, is one that perseveres in community. Can I ask you this morning, just check yourself. Am I persevering in community? But that's not just where the text stops. It shows us again the second point, persevering to the end. We see that in verses 14 to 19. And so it says, We have come to share in Christ, if, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And why is persevering faith so important? Why is it important that faith keeps on until the end? The answer is in verse 14. It says that the mark of a true believer, the mark of someone who knows Christ, who loves Christ, who cares about Christ, is that they persevere to the very end. You see, true biblical faith, persevering faith, is not just a profession you make at some point. It's a lifelong commitment to following Jesus. Let me give you an illustration to explain. And so there's a, suppose you know a guy and a girl we call them Hassan and Hawa, who love each other very much and are about to get married. So they are so into each other, they decide to get married. And so they decide to have a destination wedding. So they go to Monaco or Dubai or some other fancy place outside of Nigeria. They have a fancy wedding and it's covered by, I don't know if anybody still reads it, ovation, um, and all the media outlets. It's the wedding of the year. But then suppose you, you actually like it. It's covered everywhere. It's, it's the wedding of the year. But then suppose you later find out that Hassan sponsored the entire wedding. He paid for the bride and her family to fly to the destination, and he basically bankrolled everything. What would you say? What would you say? He's rich. He has deep pockets. You might even say, ah, oh, this guy is so sweet. Well, that's what you say. But take this second scenario. We call them another guy and a girl, except that this one, they are actually an older guy and an older girl, far older guy and girl. We call them Alimi and Amina. And so you find out that they're in their late 60s, and they've been married for almost 40 years. They didn't have a destination wedding because they couldn't afford it at the time. They've had a number of miscarriages through the years, and the husband has mourned and grieved with his wife. Not once has he uttered a word of insult to his wife. When his business was going through a downturn and he was struggling to make ends meet, his wife was constantly encouraging and praying for him. She even decided to work longer shifts on her nursing job so she could earn more money and take care of the household. When his family asked him to take a second wife, he stood up to them and refused. His business eventually picked up, and he began to do very well. And just when he thought things had become better, last year, on the eve of their 39th wedding anniversary, 
she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And she was given less than a year to live. So Alimi decides to take an extended leave of absence from his just recovering business from their company and decides to be the primary caregiver for his wife. Last month she died. If we heard this story, what would you say? What would you say? It's sad, yes, I know. I know. Apart from sad, what would you say? <laughs> he loved her. You would say they loved each other. Why? What makes the difference between both stories? One didn't even spend as much money as the other. It's because the time, the tests, the difficulties, and the consistency of persevering over the years showed us that they truly cared about each other. And friends, just as we know true love by what it has endured and suffered and persevered through, we know true faith by what it has suffered and endured and persevered through. Both of those stories are fictional. But we know true love is not just in the exchange of texts and lovely gifts on Valentine's Day between infatuated teenagers. We just know that's not what real love is. We know that true love is when a couple have been married for many years and we've seen them go through much stuff, much suffering, much pressure from outside, and they've survived. That is true love. We know good parenting, or a good parent, is not the parent that buys candies for the child at some point two years ago. It's the parent that consistently denies themselves, gives themselves up for the child. That is a true parent. That is the parent who loves that child. In the same way, Faith that perseveres under much testing, under much trial, that endures and suffers a lot, is true faith. It's the faith that is shown to be genuine. I like this quote by a pastor named John Piper. He says, do you treat your Christianity like a vaccination or like a relationship? Do you believe that you have been inoculated against hell, or do you believe that you have a relationship with the one who holds the keys of hell? If you treat your salvation like an illocution, you take it one day and never think about it. And there are many of us who think of, of faith like that. We think that because we made a profession 20 years ago, and we never actually think about it, that we're actually Christians, that we actually have faith in Christ. The text shows us this morning that we have come to share in Christ. It is shown that we have actually known Christ. It is shown that we love Christ. It is shown that we have faith in Christ if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. You see, friends, faith in Christ is not just a noun. It is not just something that exists. It is a verb. It always acts. And so if you look at those verses 12 to 14, you see all the verbs in that passage. See to it, verse 12. Encourage one another, verse 13. Hold firmly, verse 14. All of these call for action on our part. But you see, sometimes we think that there's, a, there's actually a way where I'm not holding on to Christ or believing in Christ, and I'm still kind of safe. But the text actually says no. Now, unbelief is also not just a state of being. Unbelief is also things you do. 
And so we see in verses 15 to 19, he talks about hardened hearts, the children of Israel, hardened hearts in verse 15. He talks about rebellion. They rebelled in verse 16. It, it says in verse 17 that they sinned. It says in verse 18 that they disobeyed. Friends, there is no middle ground in the Christian walk. You are either persevering in faith or growing in unbelief. A faith that does not persevere to the end is shown not to be genuine. And so Jesus tells the story, the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, verses 14 to 15. And basically there, there are different types of seed. There's seed that falls on the wayside. There's seed that falls among thorns. There's a seed that falls on the rock. And there's a seed that falls on the good soil. And Jesus explains in verses 11 to 15 of Luke 8. And I'm just going to read it very quickly for us. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. Right? Everybody sees them. They make a profession. But they have no roots. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word of God, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Friends, how do we know that one seed didn't have roots? was time. Precious came and it fell. It fell off. It got destroyed. And we saw that actually got destroyed because there was no roots. And then some of us who are theologically inclined or not, we may have heard the phrase, once saved, always saved. Now, that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, depending on who you are. Right? But if I can just touch on that, it's not so much that once you are saved, you are always saved. It is actually that if you have been saved, you will always, save, you will always be saved. Why? Because true faith is faith that perseveres to the very end. Friends, the effectual call of God grants us grace. We don't come to Christ because, just like we heard last week, we don't come to Christ because we made a profession. We don't come to Christ because we said something at some point. We don't come to Christ because we did something at some point. We walked down the aisle or anything. We come to Christ because God effectually calls us in Christ. And he opens our eyes to see him. But that same call to come to Christ is a call to hate sin and love righteousness. It's a call that keeps us in the love of God. It's a call that changes our taste buds. And so I like what someone said, that grace is not just pardon from sin. Grace is power to say no to sin. How do we know that we have come in contact with Christ? It is not just that we said something at some point. It is that our lives and everything about us has been turned a different direction to follow Christ. And so when we come to Christ, it's a call to progressively becoming like Christ. So friends, let's test ourselves again this morning. The text presents us with this text, with this test rather. How is your personal walk with Christ? Are you persevering in faith in Christ? How are you doing now in relation to two years ago? Is your love for Christ cooler now? than when you were on campus? 
cooler. I didn't say different, and I, I believe here, it might help someone that I believe very strongly that sometimes our work with Christ is different in, in, in different seasons, right? And so we are busier, some of us are busier now, we are parents, we are working, and so it's different, it's going to look different from how we were on campus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, is your work with Christ cooler now than when you're on campus because you're in Lagos? And work is stressful, and there are more deadlines, and you have targets. Test yourselves. Why is this important? Because of verse 19. He says, we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. In fact, he says that in verse 16, he says, all of them left Egypt. All of them stepped out of Egypt. But it turns out that Egypt hadn't left some of them. And so it was time that showed us that they did not persevere, did not keep following God. Some of them turned away. And we see that in Exodus, some of them rebelled against God's command. They kept complaining against God. Some of them kept complaining about the fact that Aaron was the one, the only one who was, who was called to be priest. Some of them spoke against Moses. Some of them slept with, with women from Moab. Different crazy things that they did. All of those showed that they actually had unbelief. And so we may remember last year when we studied 1 John and we, we came to chapter 2, verse 19. And it says this in 1 John 2, 19, that they went out from us because they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that they did not belong to us. Friends, I believe so much that when God calls a Christian to himself, he is eternally kept secure there. Nothing can snatch him out. Jesus says that in John chapter 10. Nothing can snatch them out of my hand. But also, at the very same time, that call to come to Christ is a call to keep following Christ. It is not a stamp on anything that we do. It is a call that says, now turn and follow me. And if we are not following Christ, it is shown that we do not have true faith, that we do not have persevering faith. And so I'm not trying to scare us. I'm not trying to say that you have to slog it out and you have to you know, be sweating and doing different activities. I'm saying that true biblical faith is evidenced in what it pursues and what it, how it follows Christ. And I love Hebrews 6, 9 to 12 so much. It says that even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Because God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence, how? To the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Friends, true faith perseveres to the end. It does not coast along. It is not content to drift with the winds and the waves. It fights and perseveres to the very end. But just when we were getting discouraged, the text presents us with hope. And so we go to the last point, persevering in hope. We see that in verses 19 and verses 5 to 6. And so you may have heard the point, and if you're a Christian, you say, 
Yeah, I've heard you. But man, this Christian work is so hard, it's so difficult, it's so tough. And you may be here, and you may be a non-Christian, you may say, okay, but what is, what is really there for me? What is the gain? Why should I trust Christ? Why should I persevere? And the text actually answers that question, and it says the answer is hope. Hope. Some of us may have signed up for a gym membership before, right? More often than not, we crash out. I remember I signed up for one last year. And just when, and things were going very well. Like, I was, things were going very well. I just got tired one day. I just, ah, let me just, let me just take a break. <laughs> I'm still taking a break now. <laughs> but you see, what motivates those who stay to the very end? What motivates the lady who endures countless hours on the treadmill, sweating and in need of water? What motivates the guy who wakes up at 5 a.m. to go and lift a few weights? Sometimes the promise of weight loss, right? Sometimes it's the promise of being a bigger model, of being a fitter model. My brother is raising up his hands at the back. Sometimes it's just the pleasure of being able to help around the house, right? I, I, I can carry things. I don't have to be <gasps> heaving. Sometimes it's also just the pleasure of I'm just being fit. I'm just fit. But in all of those instances, something motivates them. It's a picture and a promise of what awaits on the other side. What is promise? What you will become? It's, it's saying, if I can get through this, something better awaits me on the other side. And so, friends, it's the same thing with us as Christians. Persevering faith is only able to persevere because it has a picture of what is promised on the other side. And so what is this hope? In Hebrews chapter 3, our text, verses 1 to 2 and 6, it says... Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. But here's the difference. Christ is faithful as son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? He says, Jesus is our apostle and high priest. Apostle comes from the word that means sent. So Jesus is one sent to us. But not only that, Jesus is the one who now stands in our stead before God. Jesus is our high priest. Our hope, friends, is that we have now become part of the family of God. Not just is Jesus sent like any other messenger in any religion to us is that Jesus now stands in our place before God. And Hebrews presents this all over to show that because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, he is the faithful high priest who saves eternally, who keeps us eternally. And so this hope is fleshed out in chapter, in, in chapter 6, 19 to 20. It says, because Christ has gone ahead of us and because God cannot lie, and because his promise of eternal salvation is secure, our reconciliation to him is secure. Friends, the hope of the Christian is not that we go to heaven. Now, some of us may have seen those, those paintings where there are cherubs just on the clouds, floating around, playing harps, you know. Very boring picture. 
If that is the hope of the Christian, I don't want any part of it. We don't want any part of it. The hope of the Christian is not that we go to heaven. The hope of the Christian is that we get to be with Christ, with Christ, in his presence, in him. Friends, that is our hope. This morning we said in Nicene Creed, and at different times we say different creeds and faiths, um, statements of faith. One of the things we say here is the city church statement of faith. And I love statement 10 so much. What does he say? He says, the reward for persevering faith in Jesus Christ is eternal blessedness and joyous existence in the new heavens and new earth, in the presence of God and Christ forever. You know the way we talk about hope as, as Nigerians and generally as, 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 as human beings? We talk about it as if it's something that may happen or may not happen. So you say to someone, the person says he's going to give you 5,000. You say, I hope you will do it though. <laughs> or you are thinking in your mind right now, I hope Emmanuel stops preaching. <laughs> in other words, I, 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 I hope you will stop playing the keyboard. In other words, it could happen or it may not happen. Of course, he, he, didn't, he didn't stop. But that's not how the Bible speaks of hope. The Bible doesn't speak of hope as something that may happen. The Bible speaks about hope as something, as an assurance in something that has already happened. And so he says in Romans 5, verses 1 to 2 and 5, that because we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through Christ, whom we have gained access to by faith in this grace by which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And he says this in verse 5, that this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, our hope as Christians is not in something that may or may not happen. It is in something that has already happened because Christ has paid the, the price for us on the cross, we have assurance that he's going to redeem us eternally. He will keep us to the very end. And so I love very much the song we're going to sing in a few minutes from now. It says, he will hold me fast. Our assurance that we will persevere to the very end is not so much in what we can come up with ourselves. It is in who he is, in his person, in his character, in the fact that he's faithful to complete that which has already begun in us. I love this story very much that a writer named Randy Alcorn, whose book we um, read as a church last year, he tells in another book of his called Heaven, and it's a true story. And I'm just going to read it to us. He says, in 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel, right? The English Channel is between England and France, if I remember correctly. The English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her, but still she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, in a boat alongside, told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. 
It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Friends, how do we know that we'll make it? How do we know that our faith will, be for not, will not be for nothing? How do we know that we can persevere to the very end? It is this hope. So hear the words of Hebrews 7.25, that therefore he is able to save completely, I like the King James, to the uttermost, those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Friends, this is our hope. Our hope is in the promise and the person of Christ. Our hope is that he will not fail. Our hope is that we can trust in him and he will take us safely home. He will hold us fast. Friends, he will hold us fast. And so I call us this morning to examine ourselves, to test whether our faith is true and is biblical and is correct. Is it persevering in community? Is he committed to persevering to the end? And is he persevering in the hope of who Christ is and what he offers us? Let's pray. Father, though we feel our hearts will fail, you will hold us fast. Those who trust in you to the very end are held fast in your embrace. So, Father, help us that our faith might be shown to be genuine. That, Lord, we might persevere in community, in godly, biblical community. That we might persevere, Lord, to the end. Lord, but that we might persevere in hope. Do this for us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.